It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience. And without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Yeah. I want to bother like the whistles. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blowing on the net. Girl, she went shots for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching games like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Troy Halliburton, and joining me on the other line, a very special guest, my guy from Bullets Forever and doing other things at SB Nation, Mr. Kevin Broom. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. I, I can't complain. Doing a, doing a, a nice uh, work from home day. So, you know, <laughs> I did, yeah, decided that, you know, let's get a little uh, Wizards podcasting in. And I feel like uh, as a fan of the uh, uh, the hashtag So Wizards podcast with you and, and, and my guy, uh, Mr. Becker, like I honestly and genuinely miss hearing your voice talking about uh, Wizards basketball. So to have you come on and, and chat it up with me is an honor, to say the least. Well, I appreciate that. And, yeah, we've got to get things going again uh, with 
do with Ben or with the regular podcast because that was fun too. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you guys uh, are uh, uh, complete family men, so I understand why it, 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 it's uh, difficult to carve out time uh, uh, to, to sit back and, and talk about a team, especially a team who, you know, uh, they, they, they aren't world beaters by uh, any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think that we're, we're all entertained and love just just being a part of uh, watching games and talking about games and, and the discourse that we all have on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. it's um it's fun talking. It's a fun team though, so you know it's good to make time. Exactly, and so uh, the the team has been fun even in the absence of uh, a star player over the last couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. uh, yesterday the team lost to the Utah Jazz, but uh, they, they they had their uh, two time All Star Bradley Bill return to action after missing uh, six of the last seven games. Um, what, what what did you think about what did you think about the Wizards play? while Bill was out, and uh, really them going 4-3 and three over that stretch. So they're 4-3 and three on the season uh, uh, in games that Brad has missed. But what, what did you think about the team and what they were able to do while he was out? And then after that, we'll, we'll get into some things about what you saw yesterday from his return. Yeah, I would say it's just it, – it was kind of like the really the, the whole season in that they're fun to watch, they they score a lot, and they're – they don't defend, and they're very—they're confounding in the sense that, you know, they beat several good teams. Whether they beat Miami, Denver, um, I'm, I'm blanking on who else, but they beat some good teams, and then they lost to, you know, badly to some not so good teams. Um, you know, so I, they got beat by Orlando by a bunch. They, they lost to the Knicks in the stretch. Um, they did beat the Hawks, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so yeah, they beat the Hawks and they beat the Celtics. Uh. <laughs> That's right. They beat the Celtics. The Celtics, another very good team. And so, um, the thing that was nice to see with them is is just, and this has been true all season. It's just is that level of enthusiasm and effort. And it would be great if some of that enthusiasm and effort could translate to the defensive side of the, the ball. But um, you know, it, they do play hard. They play for each other, and they're. Um, it's an unselfish group in the sense that, you know, you see guys, um, you know, the bench mob cheering for the guys who are doing things on the court, even when it's somebody who is like could conceivably be taking a job from somebody who's on the bench cheering, you know, or, you know, so that, that's all good. It's a good bunch of guys and it's pretty remarkable how they've been able to change the culture of the team so quickly, you know, last year at this time, it was a pretty, um, moribund group you know they they were pretty pretty dour and and um kind of a too school too cool to try sort of sort of attitude about them and that is completely banished this team works hard plays hard they try hard and um so that that's all fun and that's a that's a great change and pretty impressive how they were able to do that in a single off season yeah and i i think that the, the changes that uh that you speak of, these are all very tangible and real things that are going on. You know, um, I, I get it. I'm very fortunate, you know, to uh, be able to go to uh, the majority of the Wizards' home games, and I can say that it's night and day from being in the locker room and being around the team from last year to this year. You know, and whereas you know the Quizzes kept, they 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 pretty much have like the same record. You know, it's right. they're, they're, like it's it's not like they're tangibly. There's not like they're better than they were last year. You know, it's just, but it's just a different environment 
you know, obviously the uh, the age of the players uh, has inc- uh, decreased uh, dramatically, so they're they're a lot more uh, uh, a jolt of uh, youth that, that is going through the the locker room, and so I, I feel like a lot of these guys, I mean, they're just really eager to come out there and learn, and so that 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 leads to guys playing hard, and, and as you said, you know, guys cheering for each other when you know, like even though th- these guys might the same guys that they're cheering for might be the same guys that are keeping them out of the rotation or the yeah. same guys that might have them on the bubble of being the next roster casualty. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a good energy that they're building. And, you know, I, I think that uh, Brad is a big part of that as, you know, as the guy who is the leader of the team, you know, and this is uh, something that we're, we're going to get ready to talk about is that Brad, you know, th- this is an interesting year for him because it's really the first year that he's been able to come in and be the alpha, quote-unquote, the, the, the real leader of the team from the beginning of the season all the way through. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he had to go through his own uh, uh, maturation process of learning how to lead uh, on and off the court. And he's doing a fantastic job of it off the court. And so I, I believe we're, we're ready to talk about something that he can possibly do to improve his on-the-court leadership and maybe some things that, you know, that the coaching staff and and uh, and Scott Brooks can do to to help him uh, maximize his talents on the court. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's you know that's been one of the really cool things because you know when Beal got to the NBA, I think he was either the youngest or the second youngest player in the league. And even in, like in the second, second, and third season, he was among the youngest players in the league. And to see him mature into you know a true leader has been really um, a fun process to watch, and it's really cool to see. Um, how he's grown as a person, the, the sort of maturity and attitude that he brings. And it's also been fun. You know, last year, it really, a lot of this sort of enthusiasm, that, i got to give some credit to Thomas Bryant for um, bringing that kind of, um, you know, just that enthusiasm and work hard attitude to the team. And he, he and Beal really fed off each other last season. And then, you know, this season, that's been, continued throughout the filtered throughout the entire team where they've got a bunch of guys who maybe not quite as enthusiastic as Thomas Bryant is, but uh, they're pretty enthusiastic regardless. Yeah. It's going to be hard to uh, out an uh, enthusiastic Thomas Bryant. Like his, <laughs> his his energy levels are on a, a completely different type of level. <laughs> yes, that's true. It's I, I'm still amazed that the Lakers released him. Because you know, when I heard that he had, the Lakers had cut him, I, my first reaction was, "Hmm, I wonder what's you know what what's wrong with him, like on a personal level, in in the sense that because you know is he not working hard enough? Is he you know not coachable? What's what's problem?" And then you know the Wizards because he looked decent, you know, worth a draft pick in uh, my stuff when I looked at him his draft year, and so I I thought, you know, when the Wizards picked him up, I was like, okay, you know, he's a guy who maybe should have been a late first round pick and and the Wizards maybe will get somebody who can be a serviceable big man for them and he turned out to be pretty good and the the thing about him is that some of his biggest strengths are that sort of the the interpersonal it's the effort level it's the fact that he works hard that he's so enthusiastic he's constantly texting his the assistant coaches and stuff saying what can I do to get better you know should I work on this what do you think of that you know it, if anything, you know, maybe he needs to take a break now and then. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, I mean, his energy level is infectious, to say the least. And so, yeah, and, and you're right. 
they uh, I think that you know some of the, the coaches coaches and uh, the coaching staff have had to talk to him about you know kind of reeling it in just a little bit and you know they they, they got to keep him out of the gym especially you know when he he also made his return uh, to the court yesterday after being mm-hmm. out for some time with a stress reaction in his right foot yeah. and so you know he's the type of guy where. You know, he's doing his rehab. You don't have to worry about him coming, not not coming in for his rehab assignments and stuff like that. You know, they they got to send him home because he because he wants to be there so much. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's uh, and that's that's a fascinating thing, and that's a that's a great thing to have. Um, you know, a, a great attitude to have as part of your your locker room, part of your roster. And it, like you said, it's infectious. You know, when he he worked hard, he played hard, he played well. Um, got a nice contract, and um, I think there's a lot of those younger guys who are on those, you know, minimum salary deals and second round pick deals and that kind of stuff. They're looking to him as you know it's possible, making yep. you know, establishing yourself. If you work hard, if you play hard, you can do it. So yeah, no, he's definitely set an example, and and so yeah, I think uh, uh, Mo Wagner he's come in and and kind of you know fallen right in, under the uh, under the, the the same kind of career path that Thomas Bryant has taken. And, and you know, they, they play uh, uh, kind of similarly with the, you know, as far as their energy and, and Mo was, you know, leading the league and drawing charges uh, before, you know, he got hurt. So I, I think that the, the, the Wizards' uh, big man rotation uh, is, in, is in good hands going forward for the future. And we're, we're actually going to talk about another uh, big man, uh, uh, big AP, who they signed uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, what did you see uh, yesterday and in Brad's return, and specifically because you know you and I uh, talked uh, a little bit before we started recording about a tweet that I had where I said that you know I thought that yesterday Brad was playing a little bit of hero ball in that mm-hmm. fourth quarter, and I, I wanted to get your impressions of, of what you've seen from from Brad, uh, what you saw from him yesterday specifically in his return, and also what you've seen from Brad, like kind of uh, what he's done in the fourth quarters of games this year in crunch time? Well, so, one, I agreed very much with uh, what you tweeted, that the, that the you know, the hero ball stuff needs to sort of, not just sort of, it needs to go ahead and die out. Um, this has been, I think, an issue with the Wizards for several years now where they, they – there are two guys in particular, Wall and Beal, who have gotten – the, the, the sort of the star treatment. You know, you, if you get a guy like James, right, you build your offense around him. There isn't really, or Steph Curry, there really doesn't seem to be like an outer limit to how much, how many possessions they can use, how many shots they can take. And you can still have an efficient offense. Those guys are just truly elite players. LeBron is like that. Kevin Durant is like that. Um, and I'm just trying to think. I'm not too sure there are too many other players at that level offensively. You know, Kawhi Leonard is a similar level superstar. He's a little different in that he does it with, you know, a little more of the defense and and uh, rebounding than uh, just the offensive. He's a great offensive weapon as well. But, you know, that's it. But more to the point, you know, I felt earlier in the season that the Wizards were putting too much of an offensive load on Beal. You know, his previous high in usage was around like 28%, 28.5%, somewhere in there. And um, that was his most efficient season, well, one of the most efficient seasons of his career. Um, that was last season. Um, his previous high was 2016-17. I, I thought that was actually the best season of his career, at least in, in my analysis, um, been better than last season. 
Um, yeah, and his usage rate was uh, at 26.5 for that season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this season he's up, uh, what, 32 33%, and he's been pretty solidly in that sort of, um, you know, above 30 really all season. And right. I, I think for his skill set, what he does best, that's too much. You know, that, that they're putting a ton of, uh, of, of, of of the burden onto his shoulders, and I think that he fits into an offense better as, you know, sort of the one of you know a, one of the best player as he certainly is their best offensive player, but I think that he'd be better if he would back down to you know twenty eight to thirty percent instead of thirty two to thirty four percent you know that sort of thing, because I think then then he's taking fewer difficult shots and he's not trying to create his own shot quite as much and he 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 so one of the among the things that he's done you know when he entered the league he was not a passer he he was not an, a very effective passer he he could sort of get some assists just the, the sort of obvious ones he's become a very good passer very effective passer and good at creating for his teammates and I'd love to see him do more of that and to also just to keep the ball moving rather than um trying to force the issue a lot. And I think that becomes more of an issue in the fourth quarter when teams really start to get focused on trying to win games. You know, early in the game, they may not double-team him at midcourt, for example, or try to trap him at every possession, and he can score a little bit more easily. He can create a shot. It becomes more difficult when they're, they're doing some things that we've seen like the doubling him at midcourt or um, blitzing him off of the pick and roll and trying to force him to give up the ball. And um, some of the problem there has been that he's he's been a little slow to give up the ball, and then his teammates don't really seem to know quite what to do once once they do that. And what, they're, what they should do is just move the ball to the open man and get a quick shot or to attack with numbers, um, you know, before the, the defenders can sprint back to the rim. Um, but they – tend to sort of hesitate and then try to figure out what they're going to do. So th- there's there's a whole set of things that can happen there, but I think the, one of the biggest things is that, you know, Beal is a very good player, but he's he is not among that truly elite offensive weapon. And um, I think that they would do well to reduce his load a little bit. Um, you know, his teammates have at least shown that they could be competent offensively, um, you know, especially when he's on the floor and, um, you know, drawing defensive attention. And I think that they could be – their offense has been excellent um, all season, and it could be even better, I think, if they would um, let him carry less of the load and his teammates carry a little bit more. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you uh, in terms of uh, what you're saying about Bill's uh, usage. Um, I, I would definitely love to see his uh, usage number come down to, like, you know, more of right around his uh, career average, like around uh, 26 a percent usage rate. Um, I think that, you know, that, that is where Bill has been most effective. And mm-hmm. then, but when you look at uh, uh, the, the construction of this uh, Wizards roster, you know, there aren't really a lot of guys who can create shots for, for Bill. And I think another uh, underrated aspect of Bill's game that we're not really talking about this season is the fact that, you know, people, people like, like to trash Marcin Gortat you know, for those last couple of years that he was here. But he was literally the best screening big man in the NBA for, for you know, a, a few of those seasons, especially, you know, as Bill was really coming into his own as a player. And so when you have uh, 
you know, the Wizards when they used to run those uh, the, the, the that, that screen and roll game with uh, Bill and Gortat, you know, it would be a lot of, you know, those DHOs, those dribble handoffs. And, like, I mean, Bill was getting a lot of open looks coming off of that action. And I don't think that that is an action that I've really seen the Wizards run a lot of this year. Like, I used to love, like, uh, and Bill was actually, uh, I wouldn't say one of the pioneers of this, but he was definitely, this was a staple of his game when he played Gortat, where uh, he would set a screen and then Bill would just kind of keep his dribble and then Gortat would just flip and do mm-hmm. it and re-screen. Yep. And, and, like, Bill used to get a lot of open shots from actions like that. And right now, you know, with he and Thomas Bryant, and while they do, it's a different type of chemistry that they have when they run their pick and rolls because a lot of times, um, you know, Bill has done a great job of being able to find Thomas Bryant as a role man. Mm-hmm. And Bryant, I mean, he's obviously punching the ball at the rim a lot more than, you know, Gortat, who, could, who couldn't jump over a phone book. So it, there's, there's obviously, you know, a, a different element that they're going to um, use when they're running that same uh, pick and roll action at the top of the key. But I, I would definitely like to see them try to get, uh, you know, Bill more involved with that, with the screen action from the uh, the big man. Yeah. And that's, that's something too. I mean, they should have the, the Gortat screening footage pretty available um, considering it played for them for several years, <laughs> um, but you know, he did get old, like, you know, Gortat, man, just to back up on him for just a second, you know, he, certainly his last year, in in Washington wasn't so good, and uh, pr- probably the year before that, you know, he he definitely declined as he as he got old. But man, when he first got to Washington and he was finishing around the rim, you know, on those screen rolls where he could for Wall or for Beal, where he's catching the ball and he finished in traffic very well, you know, among the like league leaders in in at rim um, field goal percentage, and um, you know, he was a terrific finisher, not a great leaper by stretch but he caught the ball well and he finished extremely well around the rim and then you know like guys do he got old and uh, that that all started to to diminish as he as he went on which you know is pretty predictable for um you know the kind of player that he was and um you know yeah, for, f- f- father time is undefeated as they yeah, say <laughs> that, that, that is true and so um but yeah it would be great to get Bryant um, doing that, you know, he does. It, Bryant sets a, a pretty solid initial screen, um, but he doesn't. He he isn't effective as a rescreener yet. You know, he he doesn't seem to think that, and that they haven't coached him on that. And you know, to the Wizards as a whole, this has been a critique I've had of of them really since John Wall got to the team, is that they don't really seem to have coached up the uh, the, the screen screening setting and screen using uh, very well. There are some things. That I thought, you know, Wall, for example, could have done better from the start and never really seemed to get better. He's such so overwhelming physically, where he was, that um, he was able to still be effective in screen roll um, sets. Um, Beal though was superb at using screens, especially with um, with Gortat as a partner. You know, it's a little more challenging um, with the the current group because Bryant is so young and hasn't really <clears throat> learned the tricks of the trade yet. Mahinmi fouls too much on on his screens. Um, so it's a little difficult to use him as a, as a screen roll partner. Also, he doesn't catch the ball or finish all that well. So, um, you know, that's another challenge unto itself. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, there were uh, several uh, uh, illegal screen calls on, on Mahimi yesterday. And, you know, the, the, those, those are just straight up turnovers and, and that, that, that's not good offense. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, by any means. Be, 
One thing that would be kind of fun to see, and I don't think they've done this very much either, is to um, use Bertans as a I, I was you, you took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. That was a, that was going to be my next point. And I think that, you know, but people think that, you know, that Bertans is a, an elite shooter. But, you know, uh, I, I got a chance to watch him, you know, a, a lot in San Antonio. And, you know, that was kind of his role. He was a role player, bit role player in mm-hmm. San Antonio before. So, you know, when it comes to, like, setting screens and bouncing off the of screens, and, and, like, he he's elite at that. And so I would love to see a lot more of Bertans being the screener because, you know, what they do right now, they, 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 they let uh, Brad hold the ball in his hands on the strong side, and then they'll try to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, run screens for Bertans on the back side, on the weak side, to kind of, like, get him open and then try, mm-hmm. to, try to, you know, skip pass and get him the ball where I would, I would prefer to, you know, kind of put him directly into the action with Brad, allow uh, Bertans to set a screen, and then and you're really putting, you know, these guys, uh, these, these power forwards who are guarding Bertans, I mean, you talk about putting them in the trick bag, like yeah. being able to have to make a decision as to, you know, do I, do I go under the screen with Brad? No, you can't do that. Do I, you know, do, do, do I jump out on Bertans after he screens and then allow Brad to just drive right by me? That, that, I mean, that would put these defenses in a much more compromising position and I think would, would definitely uh, help alleviate some of the stress that Brad is currently having right now and trying to navigate his way through some of these, uh, these crunch time decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think that that would be – that's exactly, you know, what I was thinking. The Wizards, you know, Scott Brooks and his staff through the, you know, past several years, they, really through his entire tenure in Washington, it's, it seems like his preference is to take the, you know, the, the great shooter and put them off the ball, put them on the weak side, and, um, you know, maybe run uh, some action for them on the weak side um, rather than putting them into the action. Um, I think that they – in their view, it creates more spacing and more room for, you know, somebody like Beal to operate. And, you know, maybe you're also keeping, you know, a, somebody who's a little thinner, say, but Bertans, not quite as strong like Bertans or, say, Otto Porter in a similar role before that, you know, into the action where they're going to get, you know, nailed on the screen. I think they'd rather let the big guy take the beating uh, from somebody fighting through the screen or something. But, um you know, just I'm not saying that it should be like a full time thing, but you know, a few times a game it might be pretty good. Um, I will say though that you know we're we're coming up with solutions and ideas for the offense to sort of make the offense better. The offense has been pretty good, so yeah. <laughs> even what they're doing is it's it's pretty terrific. You know, when Bertans is on the floor, their offense is is very good. When Beal is on, they're they're very good. When the two of them are on together, they're they're outstanding. And so, you know, offense really hasn't been their problem this year. It's that they're historically bad defensively. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm right there. I don't think anybody uh, is here to, to dispute uh, uh, the, the, where, where they are on the defensive end. But when, when you look at a game like yesterday uh, against the Utah Jazz, in which they were up, uh, they had a double-digit lead at halftime, you know, I, I, I thought that they had a good opportunity to win that game versus the Jazz, you know, with them being – without their best player, uh, Donovan Mitchell, who, who was out with uh, illness, I think that, you know, they, they had a chance to win that game, and but they, they, they really kind of just didn't really score the ball at the same rate that they did in the first half. And, you know, a part of that is some of the, 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 the action that they were running. A part of that was Brad really just missing shots. You know, he shot – 
0 for 8 from three-point range, and his three-point percentage is now down to just 30% on the on the season. Um, but I, I do have to give credit to uh, uh, two-time defensive player of the year, uh, Rudy Gobert, who, I mean, essentially, I mean, he changed the course of that game without really even taking a bunch of shots. So that's just how important his defensive presence is. You know, I watched a couple of plays. There was this one particular play where, um, you know, the, the Wizards ran some action. They got uh, – they hit Thomas Bryant at the uh, at the mid post. He caught it, like, right above the free throw line. Gobert came up to him. He dropped the perfect pass to Jordan McRae, who had a wide-open layup, and somehow Gortat, I mean, uh, Gobert yeah. got back and, and blocked the shot. I was like, you know, this – like, it, it was a play that – that the 99.9999% of the time NBA action is run, that's a, a two point. Yeah. But, but but Gobert, like, he was simply amazing uh, uh, yesterday. So well, yeah. what, what what do you think it is that the, the Wizards uh, could have done yesterday in particular to, to, to kind of, uh, 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 I don't know, attack Gobert differently? And what do you think, and why do you think Brad has struggled so mightily with his three-point shot this year? Yeah, the well, the, the – Second one first, and, and yeah. that is, I, I, I'm puzzled by his shooting. You know, he's he's his history is that he's a great shooter. You know, the idea, you know, he's been over forty percent on three several times in his career, um, and you know, he's a, he's a very good shooter, and it just doesn't make sense. My guess is he's just sort of hit a cold stretch, and and part of that is because it doesn't look like there's anything unusual happening in terms of like degree of difficulty of the shots. It's not like he's taking a lot of step back threes or, you know, even like necessarily off the dribble, not in ways that are different than what he's done in the past. They're just not going in. He's getting open looks. He's getting good looks and he's just missing. And so, um, you know, maybe, maybe part of the maturation process is that he needs a prescription on his uh, contacts or something. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, his, his, you know, the stroke looks good. Uh, you know, mechanically, everything looks good. It's just they're not going in. And so um, my guess is that th- they'll start to fall or, you know, like I said, he'll ha- he'll tweak, uh, get it, get his prescription checked or something, and then they'll start to fall because I don't think there's anything wrong with his shooting, at least nothing that I can see, you know, in, in looking at him. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Like he, the shot looks exactly the same. It's just it's just not going on. It's 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 a it's a strange uh, thing that's going on uh, with with his shot this year. I I have no explanation for it. I I, I was half hearted uh, yesterday. I tweeted. I said it's like the it's like in Space Jam when you know all the all the guys <laughs> lost their powers. Like that's 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 really the explanation to see what happens yeah. to Brad shooting. Yeah, I mean, he's, he like I said, he he seems like he's getting the same kinds of shots. He's getting open looks, and he's just they're they're just not falling. And uh, so probably they'll start to fall um, at some point. Maybe he's just tired from <laughs> all the you know a little more tired. But his fitness level looks fantastic. He plays a ton of it. So you know it, that just doesn't seem like uh, a very plausible explanation, other than it's just you know variation. <laughs> yeah. So then going back to uh, specifically to yesterday. Uh, what, what, what did you see from the Wizards in that in that that that, that they struggled so mightily in that second half uh, against Utah and, and and really just 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 couldn't couldn't get couldn't keep up with uh, Utah scoring and 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 really just the the, the tie turned in that game and and and, and they lost. <laughs> right. I, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I couldn't keep up. I think is the right way of putting it because I think that their problem was really more on the defensive end. 
You know, I mean, they still, yeah, they didn't score as well. Utah was definitely more effective defensively, but I mean, the Wizards still were pretty efficient. You know, they they still shot, um, you know, had an effective field goal percentage of 54% on the game, which is outstanding. Um, you know, they still scored 50 points in, in the second half and um, obviously significantly slowed down from the, uh, what, 66 they scored in the first half. But, you know, they, they were, I think they were good enough offensively to win, um, but they they gave up, um, you know, what, uh, an offensive rating of about 130 to <laughs> to uh, Utah, which has not been a strong uh, defensive team this season. I mean, offensive team this season. And so um, that's, that is the issue for them, is the figuring out how they're going to slow down opposing teams. And they, they have not figured that out at all. They've gotten lucky. I mean, they, they've had a couple of, you know, quote, good, well, good defensive ratings in the sense that, like that Boston game, for example, um, you know, that Boston was, I believe, around like 95, 96 offensive rating for that game. But if you watch that game, the Wizards were actually really bad defensively. Boston got a ton of open shots. They got they, pretty much anything they wanted, and they just missed. And that was just pure luck that, that the Wizards didn't get blown out in that game. Because if Boston hits shot hits open shots at their normal rates, they win that easily, you know. Yeah, no, I, I'm right. I'm right there with you. Uh, you know that that Boston game, I'd say, uh, you know, they, they were missing uh, Kemba Walker, and and while uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had decent outings, they 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 didn't really get much from anyone else uh, that night. And so, you know, but but give the Wizards credit though, they they competed hard. You know, with with a with a roster full of guys that you know, uh, um, I think what, what was it? Uh, Ryan Russillo, uh He had a funny tweet. He said, uh, "He said, yeah, hey, Wizards must be hard to scout because nobody knows who any of these guys are." So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that there, that that uh, there's an aspect um, also of you know how the there may be an aspect in there as well with the Wizards, you know, offense being as good as it is that opposing teams don't necessarily have to put out a full effort on um on defense because they know they're going to be able to score, you know. Yeah, no, no, you uh <laughs> it's it's you know, it, it's a work in progress and you know, I I think that um you know, I I I'm I'm, in, I'm impressed with the effort that has come on the defensive end. Uh now I, we we just need some um you know, they they're running a new defensive system under uh Coach uh, Mike Lungabardi, uh, who was the uh, defensive uh, guru who helped out the Cleveland Cavaliers win their 2016 title. So, you know, and, and I see uh, Lungabardi, he's very active on the bench, like when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, communicating with players. Uh, you know, there was a time uh, they had a couple of uh, defensive possessions in the fourth quarter that ended up in uh, Rudy Gobert put bad dunks, and you could just see the the – the I don't know the expression on Longobardi's face like he's like encouraging he's got his hands up and it ends up in a putback dunk and he just sits down like <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was it was just funny because it's like you know they did they really did everything right they did everything they're supposed to do but sometimes it just isn't your night <laughs> yeah I mean certainly that that happens um, you know I would say whatever they're doing well th- there's a lot that they're not doing very well um, and. You know they're the worst team in the league uh, in terms of defensive effective field goal percentage. 
they're among the worst in rebounding. They foul a bunch, and um, they, they do do a decent job of, well, about average, I guess, in forcing turnovers. And I'm not sure that forcing turnovers is really an accurate <laughs> term. I think it's more like opposing teams get careless sometimes because uh, I don't really see teams generally humming to defensive pressure, you know. Now, and a lot of the explanations that, you know, we've come up with, that I'd come up with early in the season, you know, I thought that the presence of Isaiah Thomas, for example, was, you know, that was a big part of it. They were just as bad defensively when he was when he was out. Um, I Certainly Thomas Bryant, um, not that good a defender, um, but when he was out, they were just as bad defensively. Um, they, they've been a little bit better with um, – you know, Mahinmi on the floor. Um, I, I think some of that's just ha- kind of happenstance. I don't, in you know, the defense part of PPA, he rates pretty poorly, in part because he fouls so much. And so I think over time, I haven't looked at this, but my guess is that like the luck-adjusted defensive rating probably would be a lot, um, a lot worse when Mahinmi's out there than it is right now. I think that they've just gotten kind of fortunate in some situations. So, you know, they. Basically, they've got every, everything that they're doing. They could do better uh, on defense. So yeah, yeah. I, hey, man, hope, hopefully, uh, this is uh, you know a part of the uh, learning experience and process for this very young team. And you know, maybe maybe next year uh, under the same system uh, and then some more tutelage that you know they'll, they'll they'll be able to grasp the defensive concepts a little bit better. Um, but, Kevin, I, I wanted to take a, a quick break right now. And on the other side of the break, I wanted to uh, do, 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 take some quick hits on some uh, some roster moves that the Wizards have been making over uh, the, the last uh, two weeks or so. And I want to get your opinion on, you know, what, what those moves mean for the team and uh, what we can try to decipher, uh, you know, Tommy Shepard has uh, in the plan for going forward. Sounds good. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Kevin. Uh, yeah, not only are what I consider you to be, you know, uh, very knowledgeable on the uh, on the court X's and O's of basketball, um, I, I think that you're also very knowledgeable when it comes to uh, uh, the transactional aspect of a lot of uh, NBA uh, moves. And so I wanted to uh, just do a couple of quick hits on uh, some of the moves that the Wizards have uh, made in recent weeks, uh, starting with uh, Washington converting uh, Andres Pestinix's, uh contract. I, I did my very best to pronounce that. Hey, we were just going to go with my guy, Big AP, uh, converting yeah. his contract from the, uh, the two-way deal uh, into a uh, full-blown NBA deal, uh, trying to uh, – beat the January 15th deadline. And so I, I want to do want to clarify something. I've seen a lot of people saying that they had to convert AP's deal by the 15th. Like, that's not true. It, you can convert a two-way deal at any point during the season, mm-hmm. but the January 15th deadline uh, is for signing other two-way players. 
So there's a subsequent uh, roster move that happened where they brought in Jonathan Williams and put him on a two-way deal, and they had the deadline to do that by the 15th. So they wanted to add another player. They had to do – so it really – it was a deadline, but, you know, it really wasn't a deadline. But I, it, this clearly goes into a bigger thing of what uh, Tommy Shepard is trying to do here. What, what, what do you think about uh, my big AP and the team converting his deal from the two-way to the regular deal? Um, I think it was done more for off-court than on-court reasons. I, I'm right know, there I, with you. <laughs> I don't think AP, you know, he's basically a replacement-level big. He's he's big, you know, he plays hard, and um, the effectiveness of his play, you know, <laughs> there's at times he looks better than at other times, but uh, he's he's not that good, you know, and he he might make for an okay, you know, thirteenth or third center type of thing where, you know, if you have a bunch of guys have foul trouble and you just need somebody to go out there and do some fouling, you know, maybe he can do that. But, um, you know, I don't think he was kept here for, for the, and I don't think he was brought here um, for the on-court stuff. I think he was signed and converted to a, you know, to a full minimum salary deal because he's Latvian he's friends with Bertans and uh, he shares an agent with Bertans. And I think that they've decided that they want to keep, um, Bert, they want to keep Bertans. They want to resign him. And so I think they're, they're trying to, th- this is part of the recruitment of Davis Bertans to get him to stay in Washington. I could not agree with that uh, more than, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that that is exactly what is going on here because I mean, if you look at it, uh, you know, if they were going to be, if they were so uh, dead set on turning one of those two-way contract uh, players over, in my opinion, I think that Garrison Matthews has shown much more and has much higher upside as a potential NBA player and probably should have had his deal converted way before AP had his deal. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, there's uh, Bertans and AP. They're both from Latvia. They share an agent. Um, you know, this kind of, this, when we, when you talk about, you know, Tommy Shepard and, you know, his ability to relate to people mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the things that he's doing, you know, uh, as far as like the international scouting and these things are concerned, I think that this AP move will definitely help out the Wizards a lot more in the long run than converting, you know, Garrison Matthews' deal. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, 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 I respect it because, you know, I can the bigger picture here and, and you know, the, what, what's at, uh, at play and at stake. But, you know, I agree with you when we look at, uh, you know, AP as a potential player. You know, I think that he is a good he, – he'd be a third center, you know, for a guy. But for a guy, uh, when, when, when Mo comes back and you have Thomas Bryant there and then you have Jan Mahimi still, like, you know, this, this guy's going to be the, the fourth center on the roster. I don't really – you know, understand you know, from a basketball perspective why they were in a rush to convert his deal. But then, you know, when, when you bring in all of the off-the-court factors, uh, it, it really kind of is a no-brainer at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that uh, th- there were probably a couple of reasons. One, like you say, uh, I don't think there was a particular rush with AP himself, but I do think that the second part of what you would mentioned at the, the outset, of that they wanted to bring back Jonathan Williams, uh, onto a two-way deal, and my guess is that Williams um, was getting interest from some other teams 
and so that the wizards wanted to lock him down um, as best they could so that they could, uh, you know, keep him part of the part of the franchise. You know, he was pretty good when he had an opportunity to play. Um, very limited sample size, obviously. But like I said, he was he was pretty good. And, you know, I think that he showed enough promise to think that maybe he could be a, you know, sort of reserve power forward center type uh, going into the, you know, for over the next couple of years. I don't think he's you know, going to become a starter or anything like that, but he at least showed uh, that he could be a competent player, and I think they wanted to keep him around. Um, so I think that was probably why they converted AP at this point um, rather than, you know, winning or rather than converting Garrison Matthews. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Matthews ends up getting converted at some point, although, you know, we'll see. It would be interesting to see what they do. Um, with with him because he's certainly flashed some interesting uh, interesting game uh, when he before he hurt his ankle. So yeah, no, I I I'm I'm of the belief that Garrison Matthews is going to be a rotation NBA player for the next ten years at least. I think you know his he has that one elite skill that you know most people say that you know you need to stick in the NBA and that you know I think that he's not just a shooter though like he's legit six five. He's a former foot, high school football player from uh, from Franklin, Tennessee, and so like you know he's got this is a tough guy like this is this is a guy who's not going to be you know scared to go up against anybody like he's I, from from what I've seen from him from you know from summer league to training camp and playing in the G League like this dude's going to be able to play so mm-hmm. you know I think that uh, you know they 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 they're they're playing uh, a little bit of the long game with him. And, you know, quiet as is kept, I think that, you know, his ankle injury the other day, and while, you know, it, it was probably not the best thing for basketball-wise for him, business-wise, like, it really kind of helped them out a little bit because now they can, you know, uh, you know keep get, get him uh, get proper rehab. But also, you know, the clock was beginning to, you know, run on his 45 days that he's eligible to be up with the NBA team. And mm-hmm. so now that he's no longer with the team, you know, my guess is, that uh, you know they'll they'll keep him on rehab for you know two or three weeks, and then after that they'll uh, you know have him play with the go go for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then after that by the time that uh, is done the G League season will be over, and so then they'll be able to play him up with Wizards games for the you know the last ten fifteen games of the regular season without having to uh, convert his deal and you know really saving them uh, themselves a little bit of money. And because he, I think he believe, he signed a, a two-year two-way deal, so then they can go back and reevaluate what they want to do with him this summer. Yeah, I'd be a little surprised if he's not, you know, signed to a full NBA contract for next season. Uh, I, I think he's, you know, see, obviously again, small sample size so far, but what he's shown has been pretty good. And um, you know, one of the things that's fascinating about him is how his ability to draw fouls in part because of a sort of a, an unorth- a fairly unorthodox um, shooting style where he leaps into his shot yeah, I'm- forward pretty significantly, and it makes it difficult for, you know, defenders who are closing out to both contest the shot and give him a safe landing zone. So that's a pretty interesting thing. It'll be interesting to see how he gets officiated. You know, are, are officials going to keep calling that foul or because he's leaping forward? Are they going to you know, convert that to an offensive foul? Or are they just going to let it go? It'll be interesting to see. And then it also, of course, raises questions about, you know, that ankle. <laughs> you know, is he going to consistently have safe landing zones? So, 
Yeah, no, that's true, and that and that this is his second uh, significant lower leg injury since uh, since he's been within the organization. So that I mean, you you raised a valid point as far as like you know his shooting style. Like he he literally never ever lands in the same spot from which he takes off. So you know it, it'll be very interesting to see you know uh, uh, how not only how he's officiated, but uh, you know how he's able to stay durable with uh, such an unorthodox uh, shooting form. Uh, going forward, but um, what, 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 what have you thought about uh, Jonathan Williams? Or you know, I know you briefly touched on what you thought about his play uh, while while he was here for his first stint. And do you think that it was a wise decision to uh, you know bring him uh, back into the fold of uh, monumental basketball, playing uh, with, with the Go Go and with the Wizards? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I you know, I thought he was pretty good. When he when he had an opportunity to play, obviously not a lot of playing time, only about 100 minutes or so, but he rebounded pretty well. He defended pretty well, and um, he certainly showed plenty of effort. Offensively, he was very efficient. I mean, obviously he's probably not going to be that efficient going forward. You know, I'm just pulled up his numbers here. He, he, offensive rating of 145. That's not going <laughs> to obviously keep going. Uh, but like I said, he showed enough uh, promise to think that he could be you know, an end of the rotation, big man, maybe more if he works crazy hard, you know, that's true of most of these guys. He's 24 already, but that's not, you know, obviously it's not old by any stretch. And so, um, you know, he, I think he's, to be honest, I think he has more promise than, than like AP does. But um, again, AP was not, I don't think he was kept on the big main roster as a, um, because of his on court ability. I think he, he's there to be, you know, buddies with uh, Davis Bertans and in the recruitment of Davis Bertans. So, but I like uh, Williams. I, I'd actually like to see them, um, you know, if, if they could, you know, they're going to have some additional roster moves probably coming up. Uh, it would be great if they could find a way to get Chris Chioza back. He was only like replacement level, but at least, you know, he showed some things defensively. And uh, point guard is a pretty important defensive position. It's not as important as like center. But it's uh, yeah, there's pretty significant defensive impact for point guards. Joza was pretty good, and um, you know he's he's got some offensive challenges. But as a third or fourth guard, uh, you know point guard, I think that he's got some some ability there too. So um, yeah, now I was definitely disappointed that the team uh, was not able to uh, retain uh, Chris Chioza. Uh But you know I don't think it'll be very likely that the team will be able to. Uh, you know, get him back. Uh, you know, he he did sign a two-way contract with the uh, Brooklyn Nets, and so you know, I think that there's something else to monitor uh, is that you know the team they do still have his uh, his straight-up G League rights, so that if something were to happen with in Brooklyn, where if he were to get cut off that two-way deal, uh, which seems unlikely now because you know the this January 15th deadline is getting ready to pass, but in the happenstance that you know something like that were to happen. He could come back and play with the go-go, but you know, I, I, it's, it's, it, it'll be tough for them to uh, for, them, for, for them to get him back within in that monumental basketball umbrella. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, and I'd forgotten he'd signed with Brooklyn, so you know, oh well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, now I mean, hey, it, these a lot of these roster moves, uh, especially now when you have uh, you know these uh, these roster guarantee days and these two-way deadline days. You know, there are a lot of uh, moving parts that are happening, you know, around some of these, these fringe uh, NBA players. And so we're seeing a lot more movement uh, from that perspective 
then we are seeing, you know, uh, actual NBA trades that are happening. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, some, they're, 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 hopefully there'll be some, some, some movement coming forward. I know that one of the pieces that, you know, Tommy Shepard was probably looking to move was that $8 million expiring contract of C.J. Miles. And mm-hmm. so with the Wizards uh, cutting him yesterday, um, that, that, that move is no longer uh, on the table as a possibility. Uh, we we, we kind of talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but I wanted to talk about it here, of course. Uh, what, what did you feel about, you know, the team uh, uh, releasing Miles and really giving up just a, uh, I would have to admit, a small percentage chance of an opportunity to flip his deal as an expiring contract? Yeah, I don't think that there was anything real because I think so. One, Miles was not very good like last season, this season. He's he's not very good anymore. Um, and so that's number one. Number two, he his injury. You know what I've heard is that he was going to you know be out for the rest of the remainder of the regular season, and it's hard to imagine him giving up anything for a guy who might maybe be on the end of their bench during the playoffs. You know. Um, it's just I, I I don't really see how that's even remotely a, a, a possibility that anybody would give up something. So the only thing that could happen would be is if they were the Wizards were, for example, trading Miles to get a, a player like a young player that another doesn't want. At which point, you know, may, maybe that guy works out, maybe he doesn't. But you know, you're you're taking on somebody else's. Um, bad contract or bad hair or bad attitude. And I'm just not sure that there's a lot of value. There's not much upside in a move like that. So my guess is that they looked at it as that they weren't realistically going to get anything of any kind of value for him because he's injured and because he wasn't playing well, even before he was injured. So it's like, what, what are they losing really? Uh, you know, what they needed was just the roster spot. And, um, you know, that's, um, that you know they they were able to get that um it'll the the interesting one to me is going to be what they're able to do if anything with Mahimi with with Mahimi yeah. yeah who's played maybe well enough to for like a team that gets an injury or something like that to think that okay we could use a veteran big guy for the remainder of the season in the playoffs that that sort of thing to give up a you know maybe a second round pick and a bad salary or something like that to to get him more likely. I think it would be something where the wizards are just taking on a bad contract for, you know, or um, as part of a a bigger deal. Yeah. He's in there to make somebody else's salary fit. Although again, I just, I, my guess is that they won't find any tickets for him. They'll just be either have him through the end of his contract or they'll release him after the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know there there would I think that there would be uh, some interest in him if the Wizards were to straight up just release him after the trade deadline. If you could imagine, if you were a team like the Boston Celtics, who who literally have no rim protection at all, no real big man, no like they if if Boston plays you know the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers in a playoff series, you know th- this year they're, they're going to be in trouble. And not to say that Mahimi would be the savior that would help them, but. You know, I think that he's looked competent against guys like, you know, Joel Embiid, uh, uh, you know, in, in a position that, you know, is is, is, uh, is kind of dwindling in, in today's NBA, NBA of, of traditional big men who can actually, uh, you know, competently defend in the low post. 
But, you know, I, I do think there is a possibility uh, of the team being able to include him as salary filler and, you know, a, a larger deal. And, you know, I, I, I would have the utmost confidence in, in Tommy Shepard at least exploring every option, exhausting all of his resources to, you know, try to see if that's a possibility. But, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, to the, the C.J. Miles contract, you know, with, with them really needing the roster spot, with them having so many injuries, you know, they, they, I think that he was just clearly – he was just next up on the bubble. And, you know, when you look at the opportunity cost of it, you know, that, that it, it definitely probably was more beneficial – for them to cut CJ and to, you know, convert AP's deal and bring in Jonathan Williams than to hold on to him with a small percentage chance of possibly making a deal down the road. You know, so I think, you know, Tom, Tommy Shepard is, he strikes again with, with another um, correct move from my point of view. Yeah. But I, I do want to talk about, there is one move that Tommy Shepard made uh, that I think deserves a little bit of criticism and that was the signing of Isaiah Thomas. And I'm going to take a, a, a quick break. And on the other side, we're going, to, we're going to finish up with our last 10 minutes. We're going to talk about what, you, what we've both seen from Isaiah Thomas and what could be possibly done to, to, to kind of alleviate this situation, fix this situation for the Wizards. All right. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Kevin. I, uh... I'm I'm glad that uh, for all the listeners that are still out there, if you've been waiting to hear about some Isaiah Thomas slander, I'm sorry that you had to wait nearly 50 minutes into the pod, but I I promise that uh, you know we're we're gonna we're gonna give you a proper discussion on on what Isaiah Thomas has or has not brought to the Wizards for this year. Um, first, I want to say that I have to give Scott Brooks a little bit of credit here because. I'm noticing that he is kind of kind of leaning leaning away from Isaiah Thomas, and he's also changed the way that he's running his rotations. That you know, so like basically what he does now is that he kind of front loads Isaiah Thomas's minutes in the first quarter and in the first half, and knowing that he's going to rely heavily on Ish Smith in the fourth quarter. And you know, Isaiah Thomas he didn't play in the fourth quarter yesterday. And that makes about, by my count, uh, four of the last five games where he has not played in the fourth quarter at all. And so what he's doing is he's playing Isaiah, he's playing IT for like the, the first, you know, six or seven minutes of the game, uh, maybe sometimes like the first eight minutes of the game. And then he's bringing in ish, you know, around that four-minute mark in the first quarter. And so, you know, I, I think that that's a good uh, step in the right direction. I think that the proper step would be to just not be playing Isaiah Thomas at all. Uh, what, what say you about what you've seen from Isaiah Thomas uh, and his minutes that he's played this season? Why do you think he's, like, just so ineffective? And what the hell should the Wizards do about him going forward? <laughs> well, geez, 
<laughs> you sure you maybe we need to do another one of like an hour to talk about this, but no, we can, <laughs> we can speed round here. One, uh, so for his overall effectiveness, number one, um, he's the least effective defensive player I've ever seen. He's he's so bad defensively; it's just astonishing. They they can't put he cannot defend anyone. I mean, Cam Reddish had a good game and you know got some got to the basket hit shots and stuff, that sort of stuff, when being defended by Isaiah. They can't hide him in his own. Teams just attack his wherever he is. And they they could probably do a lot more of that if they wanted. But I think that, you know, teams are, are scouting. They're, they're creating, like, in specific game plans for teams a little less, you know, putting less emphasis on that than they have in the past. The teams are a little bit more focused nowadays in the NBA on – sort of their own systems and their own processes than like what the opponent is going to be doing. And then they sort of make adjustments in game. Um, so, but in a playoff series, for example, I think when teams really do focus on game planning for a specific opponent, Isaiah Thomas would be just mercilessly exploited on the defensive end because he's small. And then this goes to the both ends of the floor among the problems are because small is not necessarily a defensive detriment, you know, um, uh, small guys have been effective defenders in the past, um, and uh, so being small is not what's determined. What probably the biggest thing, and this is now filtering into the offensive side as well, is that he doesn't move very well anymore. You know, there's the thing that made him a borderline MVP candidate a few years back in Boston before the hip injury, before all the injuries robbed him of the quickness, was that he was incredibly quick. He was explosive. He could blow by people, and he could hit he was he was always a great shot maker he's still a very shot maker it's just that the shots he's getting now are all difficult or many of them are difficult and um he used to be able to use the quickness and the, the the ball handling and his ability to change directions and just sort of his general craftiness to get good good looks at the basket to get open shots and those really aren't coming anymore and that affects him on defense too, where he's he doesn't have that quickness to to get steals. He doesn't have that quickness to really pester and pressure ball handlers, and um, you know the, that lateral quickness just isn't there. And so, like I said, he can still hit shots. He's still a good ball handler and that sort of stuff, but he's just not an effective player anymore because everything has an extra degree of difficulty that he didn't have, you know, two or three years ago because the physical quickness is just not there and he's he's obviously a tiny tiny player and that yeah you know, that little bit of decline physically is um is critical for for somebody that's small for sure and you know i did you know what but i was going to tie this to john wall but maybe we should stay away from that yeah. <laughs> so but that's what i see i just see a guy who physically isn't what he was and he He's adapting to it, but the adaptations are to basically to increase the degree of difficulty on his shots, and so they're they're not going in as frequently, and um, he's just not as good overall. Yeah, no, I, I see the same exact things that, that that you're describing right now. You know, uh, I, I I've seen uh, you know several games this year where you know there there, there might be a, a a switch action and. You know there might be a center coming out on Isaiah Thomas, and he can't he can't even blow yeah. past centers. Like you know, so like he 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 does he just doesn't have that burst anymore, and so it, it's really kind of sad to watch. Like because you know this is a guy who, 
you know, I, I honestly believe that he doesn't he doesn't think that he's lost a step yet. And so it, it's really sad to kind of watch him, you know, come out here and, 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 and you know, be just kind of running in mud with all of these moves and moves and moves. And, you know, he's just not going anywhere. And so yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, um, it, it, it's tough to watch at this point. And, you know, I, I definitely think that, you know, when the Wizards recruited him uh, this offseason, that, you know, that they implied that, you know, that they would give him an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, you know, that opportunity has been given to him. And so, you know, I do think that there could be a little bit of negative backlash uh, throughout the NBA if they were to just straight up cut him. So I would, I don't know if I would recommend for them to do that. Uh, but, you know, as far as, you know, him giving other opportunities to other players, you know, I think that it would be much more prudent for them to, you know, let let, let Troy Brown handle the ball a little bit more than to continually roll out Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, in, in these games, especially when, you know, like I said, this is when my son that I knew that, you know, that, that, that the Wizards know how bad this has really gotten, because Scott Brooks isn't playing them in the fourth quarter anymore. And when I say that, you know, Scott Brooks, like he's shown to be very rigid with a lot of his lineup decisions and sticking with guys until the wheels fall off. And so when when, when Brooks sees that the, that the wheels are getting shaky, like, you know, I think that, you know, it, it, it's time to definitely make some adjustments. How would you feel about the team, uh, you know, possibly giving Troy Brown more minutes uh, and letting him handle the ball a little bit more instead of, you know, rolling out IT for, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes every night? Well, I, I'm in favor of that. I think, you know, getting Troy Brown, he's playing plenty off the bench. I mean, he's been, I think he got a couple of games ago, he got like 36 minutes, 35 minutes off the bench. I think he was over 30 last night or close to that. So he's getting minutes, but I, I would be in favor of him getting more minutes and getting more opportunities to handle the ball. I think that uh, the ball in his hands is what he needs for his development. And so I, I, one area where I do disagree with you is the, the, that there would be backlash, significant backlash around the league if the Wizards released him, uh, released Thomas, I mean, um, because I think that the league can see what's happening. And a lot of times the, the last person to know that he's, you know, declined physically, that his quickness isn't there, is the person himself. Um, and I know that's been the case. You know, you get the, a lot of athletes hang on well past the point where they should have retired, <laughs> at least in the eyes, because they still think that they can do it. And um, they don't necessarily see themselves as having, you know, diminished physically um, by age or injury or whatever. And so, um, you know, the Wizards, I think, have given Thomas a fair shot at um, salvaging his career and showing that he can still play. And I think what we're finding out now, 700-plus minutes into the season for of his playing time, is that it's not there. You know, he, he was – was better early on and his his efficiency has declined his overall performance has declined he seems like he's getting slower not quicker and um you know i think that it's pretty clear when you look at him play when you look at the numbers that it's not there it's not happening he's getting closer and closer to like you know her replacement level and it's probably a good time to go ahead and you know as over the next couple of weeks to either one change the um you know, shift him out of his starting role, put Ish Smith in there, 
and you know let Ish run the team, or to and then give Troy Brown more ball handling responsibilities off the bench, or to simply just release Thomas and and create a roster spot in that way um, to bring in you know just bring in uh, some of these like G League point guards on uh, 10-day contracts, and maybe somebody clicks and can can fill that sort of third point guard role, or you know maybe not. And then you just uh, try another one. <laughs> that's that's okay, but uh, they're not going to get much worse play than they've they've been getting from Thomas. Um, whoever they get has to be better defensively for sure, and um, at least then they can look at something, somebody with an eye toward the future. You know, perhaps a guy who can fill that, like I said, that third guard, third point guard role for a year or two um, until they find somebody else. Because um, Thomas is not going to be that guy, and there's not going to be a trade for him. You know, I thought that one of the reasons that they signed him was with hopes of trading him at some point for, you know, this season before the deadline to a to a playoff contender or something like that. There, yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Yeah, he, he's yeah he's not cracking the playoff rotation on on any of the sixteen <laughs> playoff teams. Like that's no, nah. I mean he doesn't he 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 doesn't provide enough uh, you know enough offensively to be like an instant off kind of role. He, he's not like Lou Williams, for example, is a horrible defender, but he, he fills up the, fills the basket. He's, he's a good scorer. Um, and he's, he does a lot offensively. And so he can play that role off the bench where he comes in, pours in some points, and then you get him back off the floor before the opposing teams can really focus in on him too much. Although in the playoffs, that probably doesn't work quite as well, but, Thomas isn't that good offensively at this point. And defensively, he's so bad that he can get exploited even when he's not being specifically targeted. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, you've you've hit the nail right on the head with this analysis. And I hate to sound so somber about it, but, you know, it, it really kind of is. Like, I, I, I feel bad for the guy just because yeah. uh, I know about me. I know the kind of energy that he brought to the team and, you know, with his – Ability, like I, I, I could even see like just even minor things that like you know he was a much more vocal leader, you know, within the locker room, vocal leader, you know, uh, you know, talking to the media and things of that nature, uh, you know, at the beginning in training camp and at the beginning of the season. And I think even he knows now that that you know that that he's coming a more of a burden, and so he kind of just comes in, he's quiet, he goes to his locker, you know, he does he does he brings uh, both of his sons with him into the locker room every day. So he kind of, you know, he mills around with them for a little bit. But he, he he's really kind of changed the way that, you know, he's approaching, uh, you know, just even, you know, being a, a, a vocal leader and, and, you know, being assertive in that fashion. And I, and I think that he just knows that, you know, it could be, you know, any any day now that, you know, that, that his uh, situation could be changing. And so, you know, from, from a life perspective, I think that, you know, it is a very – a sobering uh, conversation uh, to be had, but you know this, this is a professional business. <laughs> yeah, and I mean he's he is a he's a great guy, no question. And his story, his personal story, is incredible. You know, he going from a 60th pick in the draft to an you know a, an MVP candidate, I mean, a legitimate MVP candidate at five foot nine, is astounding. What he did in the playoffs that season. You know, against Washington, man, which which really sucks. And I, yeah. I, I don't. Every couple of months or so, 
you know, that, that 2017 playoff series really comes back up, and it really it stings even more. I, it was brought up yesterday when Bojan Bogdanovic came in and lit the Wizards up, and yeah. Scott Brooks actually <laughs> Scott Brooks actually had the nerve to say he's one of the best wing players he's ever coached. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, why the hell did you only play him 16 minutes in game well, seven? <laughs> but, well, here's that. But that's, that's what, I got to say, that's a, a, an odd thing to say because Bogdanovich was in in D.C., he had a an awesome week. I mean, he had a phenomenal, like, first or second game with the team. But then he was great for about a week. And then after that, he was awful. <laughs> he was really bad. And um, – that was then. That lasted through the end of the season. He was bad in the playoffs. You know, I, I don't know why you'd say he's one of the best wing players you've ever coached. He was objectively bad when he was in Washington. So, yeah, know. Scott 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 Brooks just he says things. He he Scott Brooks is really good at the coach speak. Like yeah. he yeah, and and it, like when you ask him a question, he'll talk for ten minutes and won't answer the question. Like yeah. <laughs> like so he he's good at that. Yeah, coaches. They I think they get to some some of that media training. And, uh, yeah, IT lit up the Wizards there. And so, you know, these are things that – these are moments that, you know, these are all things that happen. You can never, ever take away from him. So, you know, I I, I will remember those uh, memories fondly, not him beating the Wizards or his tenure with the Wizards. I will yeah. not remember so fondly. But everything else, yeah, I, 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 I will definitely, definitely be appreciative of, of everything that he accomplished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's Kev- gotten better since he left, so you know. Yeah, of course, of course. Good, good friend. Well, well, Kevin, man, I greatly appreciate you coming on and, and doing the full hour with me. This will be great. I, I know that you know for the for for the for the Wizards uh, fans who love you know uh, so much talk about hypothetical situations and you know what the team could do and and looking at a- a- analytics, you know, I think that they will thoroughly enjoy you coming on and being able to talk about the team in that way. And I'm greatly appreciative of it. So I wanted to give you this opportunity right now to uh, to kind of uh, plug your work and let the people know where they can find you, your writings, and where they can find you on social media. Yeah, well, okay, thank you. And thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, the best place to find me, I, I write uh, basically all my Wizards content goes up on bulletsforever.com. Um, Visit there. There's a lot of good material going up there. I'm going to have a piece um, in the next oh next few days that looks at uh, Davis Bertans and what the Wizards might consider doing with him. And um, but there's going to be a bunch of uh, you know bunch of content there uh, about the Wizards. And then of course they can follow me on Twitter at broom underscore Kevin. Um, and I you know mostly Wizards stuff there. Hey, most mostly Wizards stuff and and good commentary. Uh, on, on all aspects. So, you know, I think I consider you to be a great follower. So if there are any people out there who, you know, uh, follow this podcast and listen, uh, you definitely go give uh, Kevin a follow. And, you know, you're, you're actually very uh, accessible, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, young writers who are interested in learning about analytics. You know, I, I've talked to you, sent you some of my stuff and, you know, built up a great rapport with you. So I'm very appreciative of that and and then you're standing within you know the the wizards twitter community <laughs> yeah well thank you um I, I i enjoy this stuff so you know i'm happy to talk about it yeah yeah i think i think that we we all enjoy it. that's why we spend you know the, the 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 little bit percentage of our lives you know 
you know, enjoying perusing Twitter and talking on Twitter and, you know, going to games and writing about the games. You know, I think we all did this because we we, we, we like it and love it. So, you know, I, I just want to thank you for doing this, man. You're, you're the best. <laughs> all right. Thank you. All right, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. We, we got to do this again sometime. I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get Ben Becker on too. Uh, we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna work that out, man, and 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 really start deep diving into some to some 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 some, some wizards uh, analytics and 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 some wizards talk. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks, Kevin. All right, thank you. Chilling back, giving advice. I buy my girl shit that don't matter the price. They see that I'm taking it, try getting past. Labor money, I just tell in advance. I ain't cheating, I'm just trying to dance. She just trying to have me up in the trance. I'm in a stroke like fuck. They just trying to make some buckets. Love when I slap down my ones, but it bounced like a ball when I struck it. So if you ever see a real nigga like me, just let them live and just be how it be. Go to the club with them two and you'll see. With a J, we'll be on the same team. I want a baller like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blowing on the net. Girl, she went shots for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. I want a ball out like the Wizards. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she was shot for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.